This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, um, before we start, of course, I hope you are uh, sitting comfortably, but I want you please to stand up with me, all right, in order for us to start with a word of prayer, all right? Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, once again, we thank you and we praise you for the blessed opportunity that we have of being in this place, Lord, the best place in the world where you have called us to be at this time, in this moment, Lord, for us to become the men and the women that you have called us to be, Lord. So at this moment, bless us with your Holy Spirit. May the message, what we are going to learn, be really inside our hearts and minds, Lord, in such a way that others will see that we have been learning from you, Lord. Please bless my lips, you know, for the words that will come out from me, Lord, will be the ones that you want to speak to your people in this, in this moment, Lord. So once again, thank you so much for everything that you have done, and thank you for what you are about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. Okay. Um, the day that divides. Now, this topic, even if it wasn't chosen by me, I was invited actually to talk about this topic. And it's a topic that I actually have in my heart in a very um, special way for uh, several reasons, okay? Uh, I'll have an opportunity to, to share a little bit my background um, um, probably in the second time, in the second, in the second hour, all right? But um, already for you, for you to know that in, in, the, in this first hour, we are going to see exactly how the Sabbath is being attacked, okay? And what it represents for us, okay? We're going to try to see the Sabbath as an identity mark um, in, a, in, a, in a different perspective um, of the one that probably we are uh, used to, to, to see. And then in the second part, um, we're going to see what I believe that four major attacks that the Sabbath is suffering uh, today in our days. And we're going to see a little bit some arguments for us to know how to answer uh, and how to explain the value of the Sabbath in those same uh, perspectives. Now, let me start with, with, with in the following way. Before I became an Adventist, um, I was visiting a lot of churches. And I remember um, just before actually coming to the Adventist church, I was going a lot to this uh, Pentecostal, really charismatic church, okay? And they knew that I was struggling with some issues in the Bible, specifically the Ten Commandments, and guess what? The Fourth Commandment, most of all. And so in that, uh, in that Sunday, they invited me to especially to come and so on. They called me and so on. There were friends that were actually really telling me to come and so on. And... Um, and when I arrived there, actually, I understood why, because um, the preacher had chosen as a topic not Sabbath, nor Friday, but Sunday. And so for one hour, for one hour, um, this charismatic uh, preacher, he was um, highlighting the value of Sunday in comparison with Sabbath. Of course, it was a charismatic church, so you can imagine that from half of the sermon uh, on, uh, he started screaming, there was uh, music, uh, drums, and so on, uh, and he, what he actually was screaming was exactly this, the title of the sermon was, not on Friday, not on Saturday, but it was on Sunday when Jesus was risen. 
And that really heated my, in, in my mind. And in, in the place where I was, I started praying really strongly. I said, Lord, they are making an appeal. They are calling people to the front. And if you want me to go, Lord, you really have to show me that it is your will. The problem is that I was studying the Bible. And you understand why that, that is a problem in this context. I was studying the Bible, and I said, Lord, you really gotta have to give me a sign. What, do you, what really is it that you want me to do? I saw people going to the front. It was a big church, actually. And I saw people coming to the front and all that. And uh, the preacher was still screaming, uh, all the, always the same thing. It was not on Friday. It was not on Saturday. It was on Sunday that Jesus was risen. You can imagine a little bit the picture. And then he was touching them in the forehead, and people were uh, falling apart. And, the, and actually, I remember very well, very vividly, there was a lady around 70 years old. She was jumping, but really jumping, you know, really, really jumping just, just beside me, you know. And, and then she went also to the front and so on. So you, you have the picture. The interesting thing is that um, Pentecostals, most of them believe that the Holy Spirit is a force that actually can be passed out if you just touch the person. It's like an, something electrical. Are you following? And so if they touch the person, the Holy Spirit will just connect to you, all right? And I remember that uh, at that moment, because I was not going to the front, I was really struggling in my place. I was opening the Bible and so on. Uh, there was a group of people, elders, that came, uh, surrounded me and so on, and they started touching me and touching me and touching me stronger, you know? And they were asking me, can you feel it? Can you feel it? And I said, oh, well, I can feel something, but I don't think it's the Holy Spirit, honestly. But so um, anyway... At that moment, I said, Lord, it's now or never. I opened my Bible. And it's, it's amazing how the Lord actually works in specific ways the way we need the most. And my Bible just opened by itself, you know. In Exodus 20, my eyes fell in, uh, in verse 8. And I said, Rem remember the Sabbath day? Okay, I remember it. I'm not going there. I just left. I never went back there, okay. And I started searching really for someone that was keeping the Sabbath accordingly to the Word of God. I started this way for, for us to understand that the Sabbath can truly represent a struggle for a lot of people who cannot really understand the value of it. And I believe that in a loving way, obviously, we have a lot to share about the single commandment that I believe is a powerful identifying mark of God's character. Now, when we talk about the Sabbath, it's it's very difficult, I would say even more, it's impossible to separate it from the fact that God is a creator. And actually, at that point, I believe that's where we are going to find the, the greatest struggle. The greatest struggle. Now, God gave us some signs in his word that show us clearly that he wants to know who we are. And the Sabbath commandment, clearly shows us, answers us, these same questions. Who are we? Who is God? What is our affiliation to Him? We're going to see that in a second. Please open your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If you're there, please say amen. All right. I think I hear some pages turning. That means mercy, right? All right. Amen? Yes? Okay. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And God said, 
Let us make man, how? In our image, okay? After our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Verse 27. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Just... With these two verses in mind, I really believe that God wants us to believe that he was the one who created us. What do you say? Right? Now, notice the following. It's not just the fact that God has given us an image. He also gave us what? What do you have there? And let him have, verse 26, okay? And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have what? Dominion, okay? Now, dominion is a mental attitude. So it's not just a physical form that we're talking about here. It's also something that is implanted in our personality and in our character. Interesting that LG White, she actually underlines this same thing. Okay? She says the following, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, page 45. Okay? Man was to bear God's image both in outward resemblance and in character. So when we talk about God's image in our lives, it's not just the fact that we have two arms and two legs. It's more than that. It goes beyond that. It's always also talking about a mental attitude that he actually expects from us. Now, if dominion is something that happens here, do you know something about the seal of God? Yes or no? The seal of God. What is the seal of God? You, have you already studied a little bit about that? We're going to have a, um, a workshop on that. I don't want to tackle the, his, uh, his other workshop. But remember this. If the seal of God is something that we carry in our foreheads, as the Bible teaches, okay? And the Lord is telling us that his image is also carried up here. Is it possible that the Lord wants us already to remember our affiliation to him through the creation process? Stay with me. Stay tuned, all right? Let's open our Bibles again. Now in Isaiah chapter 43, all right, verses 6 and 7, all right? Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. All right? Amen? Amen? All right. Verse 6. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the end of the earth. Pay attention to verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Somehow, once again, I think God really wants us to understand that he was the one that created us, right? Now, once again, remember that that image, beloved, was to be kept as a sign already of God's authority. That means an image that gives us a sense of belonging, a sign for his sons and daughters. You know, it's very interesting because, for example, I'm a father, and when the babies are born, 
one of the first things that we do is try to see uh, to whom does he look uh, like more, right? Does he look like daddy? Does he look like mommy? Um, um, you see, try to see some traits of, uh, 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 in, in, in the uh, visual traits in, in, the, in the face, okay? To see, well, maybe I can see your nose there, or I can see your mouth there, I can see your ears. Something that gives a sense of belonging to the parents. Are you following? In the same way, okay, notice how God has inspired prophet Isaiah to write these two verses. Verse 7. Even everyone that is what? That is what? What do you have there? Called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. Okay? And we understand that. We'll understand that glory, actually the word glory in the Bible, is deeply connected with character. Okay? In this case, the character of God. All right? For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And this word formed, actually, um, implicitly there's a, a sense of a deep relationship towards the creation. Okay? Now, his creation should provide a clear blueprint of two important aspects about God. First of all, his loving character. And secondly, his authority. All right? Let's go to Revelation now. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. All right? Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Amen? Amen? Back there also? Yes? Okay. All right. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, remember that I just told you that there's two aspects, two important aspects that come out from the, 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 the creation uh, account. His loving character, because this same verse actually tells us that he created for his own pleasure. He didn't, he didn't just create it just to be there just to say, I created something, I've done something. No, he created for his own pleasure. All right? And secondly, okay, second aspect, his authority. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because he is the creator. Are you following? Now, notice that I didn't say that he was the creator. He is the creator. And you understand that in just a second, right? So, indeed, the creation reveals God's unique characteristics. And this is something tremendously important now, okay? As we look at God's unique characteristics the value of the Sabbath is going to come out. We will be able to see it in a, in, 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 a, in, a, in a deeper perspective, okay? So indeed, the creation reveals God's unique characteristics. Those characteristics that define God as the unique God that truly deserves worship as such, okay? Now, come with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, chapter 10. And verse 12. Amen? All right. Verse 12. 
He hath made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by His discretion. Okay? Notice this. Try to memorize a little bit this text. Okay? It's a very important one. All right? His power, His wisdom, His intelligence. Some of the versions actually say it, apply that, that same word. So that means that it's all about Him. It's all about God and His gift of creation. Okay? Now, the way that Jeremiah writes this gives us a broader landscape of the understanding that God wants us to have of Him. Notice. He made the earth by His power. Making the earth was His idea and He's done it with His power. Secondly, He established the world by His wisdom. The laws, the gravity laws, everything that exists there was also established by God. He stretched out the heavens by His discretion or intelligence. Everything is about God. Somehow in the Ten Commandments, we find right in the center a commandment that puts God as the great intervenant, the one that is at the center of all of it, for us to understand how much we need to depend on Him. For us to understand how much we need to depend on Him. And actually, that's why Paul, in a very straight way, reveals to us how easy it is to, for us to, to perceive our God in the same aspects. Okay? It's a very well-known text in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. All right? Romans chapter 1. And verse 20. Romans 1, 20. Amen? Amen? For the invisible things of Him, from the what? From the what? What do you have there? Are you there? Hello? Romans 1, chapter 20. For the... Oh, mercy. All right. Are you there now? Yes? All right. For the invisible things of Him from the what? The creation of the world are what? Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Without excuse. What does it mean to be without excuse? What does it mean? Guilty, yes, but even more than that. Without excuse, it means that there's no way to be forgiven, actually. There's no way. If you cannot understand in this clear way that God has provided to you, well, there's nothing else that He can do. So the creation should actually be a means for us to understand clearly who God is. And as Paul says, without excuse. Now, obviously, God Himself demonstrates an extreme urgency in keeping the truth of the creation vividly before the eyes of the world. And obviously he didn't want us to forget about this. And that's why we have this important commandment that now I would like to read with you point by point, okay? Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Exodus 20, starting in verse 
8. Amen? All right. And the commandment already starts in this way. Now, notice that during um, that day, God didn't want anything to distract us from the focal point, from the important point, okay? Notice, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, all right? That's how the commandment starts, amen? The word remember is already, I would say, um, a definer of the importance of what we are about to read. It's the only commandment that starts with remember, but what does that mean for us? It kind of, I would say, permit me to use this expression, it kind of sets the temperature of the importance of the commandment itself. And interesting enough is that the word remember, uh, the word zakar actually means it's a mark. So it's not just telling you to exercise your memory, it's telling you to mark it in your calendar as something that is, should be uh, very uh, straight and plain in your mind. Mark it, remember it, in a way that you'll never forget it, okay? So the word remember defines already the importance of the commandment itself, all right? And interestingly enough, this is the mark that Satan has tried to oppose. Actually, he opposed, actually. And it's been opposing and will reinforce with the mark of the beast opposed to the seal of God. Now, verse 9. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. Now, notice that the commandment doesn't tell you only about that 24-hour period. It doesn't tell you to remember the Sabbath day just five minutes before sunset, okay, and run in order to start the Sabbath on your knees or singing. And unfortunately, in our rush, many times it's, it's exactly what happens, right? The commandment tells us, verse 9, Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. Sometimes we just remember, we have to, to just, just to remember the Sabbath day, and that's it, that's good. But part of also of the commandment is to work for six days, okay, and to do all our work during those six days, all right? But the interesting thing is that the Sabbath day should be the focus even of those six days of work. That means that I work six days, I try to have everything ready in order to. There is a goal, there is an objective in there. And the objective is for me to have that special day to be able to live it according to the commandment of God. Why? Because the commandment is a symbol of the central point of all my life, God himself. That means that I work six days for God in order to be able to live that day accordingly to what he has chosen. For me to remember that I'm just a creature and that he is the creator. All right? In the same way we spend our time here in this earth preparing to meet our Lord. Amen? We spend exactly our days in this life preparing ourselves to meet the Lord. And actually, looking at it in this perspective, 
it becomes a preparation for me to meet the Lord. It's like a preview of something that I will actually experience in a greater way when Jesus returns, all right? So it's like warming up for the great, for the great day, all right? Verse 10, Exodus 20 and verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. Now, once again, about the centrality of that day, God, once again, doesn't want anything to distract you from Him. Nothing nor no one should represent an obstacle to that act of relationship towards the Creator. Now, notice that He doesn't tell us that He's not asking us actually to try to control things that are out of our control. It, notice what, what it says. Notice what it says. The seventh day is the seventh of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Can you control that? Absolutely. Your son, obviously. Your daughter, obviously. Your manservant, of course. Nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor even the stranger or the one that is visiting you. Did you grasp that? Did you grasp that? He asks us actually to have a total control of our life. Dominion. Remember that word? Okay? Dominion in order for us to actually have every, everything pointing out to that blessed moment that God has chosen for us to be only and alone with Him. Exclusively with Him, I would say. Why? Verse 11, finally. Because in six days, the Lord, not Moses, notice that. But the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is the last verse in the commandment. And actually, it contains in itself the signature model of God. It reveals to us why this is to be kept. Already to people that come to us and say that the Ten Commandments is the law of Moses. How in the world is that possible? Because God himself, he signs it. It was not Moses, but God who created, made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, rest the seventh day, gave us the example actually, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and allowed it. So that means that his authority, his character even, is revealed in detail as a symbol of his identity and authority. Now, we understand that someone tried to possess exactly the authority or the identity mark of God. Now, it's obviously, it's obvious that the fact that you cannot possess the characteristics of God. He's the only one who has power to create, right? To give life. But at the same time, someone actually can try to possess it by changing it. By changing it. Because the characteristics themselves, he cannot possess it. Only by changing it and, and coming up by saying, I have created this day. Are you following 
If I tell you, for example, well, let's make a change. No longer the Sabbath, but I want to change it to Monday. Let's start keeping Monday. Notice that I have authority over that day because I am the one who have made that change. I have created that special day, not God. Nowhere in the Bible you can find that. But God, He created a day that has chosen to be a part and designed under, saying, because I have made it. I have created it. Because it's a symbol of my creation, of what I have done, of my authority over all things. Because I've created. In the moment that I change it, I become the Lord of that same day that I've changed. And no longer the Lord, because He did not choose that day. Are you following? Let me give you an example of this. Okay? Someone tried to take God's place, that's for sure. And the only way to do it was to possess God's attributes, His identity. And let's notice how um, someone tried to do this. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. Please come with me. Isaiah chapter 14. And try to follow what, what we are going to see right now. You can build the whole sermon out of this. Isaiah 14. Um, let's just read verses 13 and 14 for sake of time. Okay? Amen? Amen? All right. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Talking about the fall of Lucifer. For thou hast said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Have you noticed it? Have you noticed it? At the same time that God really wants to make a point in the fact that He wants us to understand that His power, His creation, I have made, everything depends on me. On the other hand, you see someone that rebelled by saying, I've done, I want this, I want that, okay? And finally, the bottom line, beloved, the bottom line, don't lose track of this, okay? The bottom line here is this. I will be like the Most High. Question, can Satan one day become like the Most High? Yes or no? No. Never. It's impossible. Why? Because creatures cannot become creators. Are you following me? A creature can never, underline this, beloved. A creature can never become a what? A creator. Never. But still, in his mind, look what he says. I will be, I will, I will, I will, and I will be like the most high. Underline that part there. In the bottom line, this is the deepest desire of Satan himself. And this is exactly what made Lucifer fall in first place. Now, we'll come back to this. Bear with me. Three important aspects, three important elements that the Sabbath commandment brings to our existence. First of all, who is God? He's the creator of all things. Amen? Secondly, who am I? Who am I? I'm the result of his creative power, remember, for his own pleasure. Not just a great idea that God had, but for his own pleasure. And thirdly, 
God counts on me to maintain that relationship by keep remembering the Sabbath. Are you following? Now, if Satan's ultimate goal is to take God's place, as you've seen, isn't it obvious that he would do something to destroy his power signature? That is reminding men of their own identity, the identity of God, and man's affiliation to the Creator God. Isn't it obvious? You see, the Sabbath was already created in order for us to be able to counterattack the greatest attack of Satan of all. That means what? I will be like the Most High. Impossible. There's only one that has this kind of signature. There's only one that has this kind of signature, and that is God. And God signed it. And Satan can sign under a different day, but that day it's impossible. It's impossible. Okay? Now, with this in your minds, the fact is that this is exactly what he is doing. Using human instrumentalities, branding them with his own purposes and character. And you've noticed it, right? Come with me to Revelation chapter 13, okay? The second part of it. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, the second part of the verse 2, okay? All right? 13 verse 2, the second part, amen? All right. And it says, and the dragon, are you following? Yes. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So Satan had a plan in his mind to subvert the loyalty of millions who were devoted to the true God. And that required, I would say, masterpiece of a plan. And he's done it. And he's actually done it. All of these, just in order to be able to say, remember, I also have my servants. A God needs to have people who worship him. And actually, he also wanted to have people that would worship under his own conditions. Look at what Paul says, actually, in Romans chapter 6. Don't lose track of this. This is a very important text. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 16. Okay? Romans 6 and verse 16. Amen, everyone? Yes? Yeah? Okay. Verse 16. Know you not... Notice, notice the way Paul puts it. Don't you know... That to whom you will yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Did you follow that? By other words, don't you know that to whom you obey, that same one you are servants? So, Think with me. Keeping God's commandments 
makes of you what? Servants of that same God. All right? But actually, keeping someone else's laws makes you servant of whom? Are you, are you getting it? If keeping the Sabbath, that is a mark of God, that He signed, saying, I've made by my power, I have created you. If that makes you obviously a servant of the Almighty God and Creator, I would already say, or ask you, I'm not going to answer that yet. Keeping Sunday makes you a servant of whom or what? Or what? And maybe this sounds a little bit too drastic, beloved, but that's exactly what Paul is saying here. To whom you obey, that same one you become servants of. There's no other way out. If you obey God, if you follow His commandments and all that, you become His servants. If you obey to something else, let me put it that way uh, at this moment, you are servant of something else, but not of God. But not of God. Actually, let me bring you to Revelation 13 and verse 4. If you think that this is hard, beloved, look at what the Scripture says. Revelation 13 and verse 4. Amen? Amen. All right. Look at the way that John actually is going to write this one. And they worshipped whom? Who is that? The dragon. Do you all have the dragon there? Yes. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So, actually, interesting. The Bible describes this scene. A group of people. They're not just worshipping the dragon. By the way, who is the dragon? You know that? Sorry? Satan. Satan. How do you know that? Okay, okay, very good. That's Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, okay? Now, it's telling us that they're not worshipping Satan uh, directly, right? They are worshipping through a system created by Satan. That's what we, you have in, in verse 2, okay? To whom he gave power, seat, and authority. But the bottom line, it tells us that, well, they're not just worshipping the system. They're worshipping the one that created the system. Are you following? That's why, beloved, this is a tremendously important issue for us to understand, for us to be able to teach to others in a loving way. Of course, not going to tell them that you are worshipping Satan. Of course not. But in your mind, you should have clear the spiritual warfare that is going on behind the scenes. Because the Bible, the Bible reveals that to us very clearly. Now, follow this one with me. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. This is the text that we as Seventh-day Adventists, we, we know by heart. But still, let's read it. Ezekiel chapter, tw tw chapter 20 and verse 12, it says, Amen? Amen? All right. 
Moreover, says the Lord, moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a what? To be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that does what? That does what? Sanctify them. That sanctifies them. Okay? Now, once again, if the Sabbath is a sign between God and His people, then Sunday keeping is a sign between whom? Okay? Satan understood that by attacking the Sabbath, he creates confusion in the minds of people. And I don't know if today we'll have time to, to go there, but the thing is that without the Sabbath giving authority over the commandments of God, over the Ten Commandments, everything just crum crumbles down. Everything just cr crumbles down. You know, just, uh, just uh, a while ago, I was discussing with, with someone the fact that we need morals. We need a moral law. Something that guides our conscience. And what makes this law so perfect is the fact that God signed it. Because if it was me or any one of us, well, actually, it was just mere opinion that someone signed. But the fact that the Creator made this law and signed right in the middle, saying that I am the author of all this because I am the Creator, it gives a different authority over the commandments of God. Okay? Now, in, verse, in chapter 22, also in, in Ezekiel, chapter 22 and verse 26, it's interesting what we are going to find. Because it's exactly confusion. Verse 26 in chapter 22 of Ezekiel. Amen? Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put notice. They have put no difference between me, between the holy and profane. Neither have they shewed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. This is a clear consequence of not keeping the Sabbath. It's not just the just fact that there's confusion about the Sabbath, but from the Sabbath, from not keeping the Sabbath, it creates confusion in a lot of things also. Okay? The question, if you question God's authority, you have a hard time to discern between holy and unholy. So that's why at this point, we understand that at the center of this battle is a question of identity. Is a question of identity. And in order for us to understand this question of identity or the importance uh, of it, I'd like, to, I'd like us to, to go already to Hebrews chapter 4. Because I want us to see how actually Jesus dealt exactly with the same identity issue, right? Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. To start, this text shows us actually that Jesus also dealt with all the same kind of problems that we are dealing today, okay? 4.15, Amen. For we have not a high priest 
which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points. How many points? How many points? In all points, tempted like as we are, yet without what? Without sin. So the question is, once again, how is it that Jesus actually dealt with this same issue about identity? Let's go to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> okay? 16 and 17. Now, the context here is the baptism of Jesus. That if we, if you remember, was also a moment that marked the beginning of his, of his ministry. All right? So Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Amen? And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lightning, and lighting upon him. Verse 17, notice. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, reviewing. The beginning of his ministry is marked by a tremendous evidence of his divinity. Okay? How does that happen? By having the anointing of the Holy Spirit and having a declaration of the Father that he was the Son in whom he was well pleased. All right? In other words, his identity was being confirmed and with it, his mission. And with it, his mission. So when we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, we're not just saying that we are called to, to keep the Sabbath day, but to do much more than that. Where is the mission there? What is the mission there? The mission is revealed to us in Revelation 14, isn't it? Remember, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I'm not just called to keep the Sabbath day, but I'm also, with it, called for a mission. Where is the mission there? Let's go, Revelation 14. Come on. Revelation 14. Verse 7. Let's read also verse 6. Amen? And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. What is the announcement to be made to the world here? Is it just to keep the Sabbath day? What is it? Come on, let me hear from you. Sorry? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not just the Sabbath commandment that it's here. It's telling us to announce the mission, okay? The mission. We keep the Sabbath day because we believe that the world needs to be 
aware that there is a creator. Worship him that created. That's why, that's why the, the text actually puts it so beautifully and so plainly this, this way. Worship him that made heaven, earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. What the world needs to remember is that there is a creator. And if there is a creator, there is a purpose for your life. Are you following? Just this week I was, I think someone sent me the link, I don't remember anymore, but anyway, I watched a, um, a video, there was a, a debate um, between um, Daniel Craig, he's a doctor in philosophy, and Richard Dawkins. Do you know who Richard Dawkins is? Okay. Now, Richard Dawkins is one of the major atheists in, our, in the world. Well, he doesn't call himself as an atheist anymore. He calls himself as an agnostic, okay? And for some reason, actually, okay? And they were actually debating about the purpose. If, is it so necessary for human life to believe that there is purpose for our existence? What do you think? So they were actually debating around the same question. And Daniel Craig, he said, in, 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 a, in a very, he's a creationist, and he said very plainly, without purpose, there cannot be any life. Without life, there is no purpose. Did you get that? And actually, it's interesting because uh, um, Dawkins is he's usually a very arrogant man in the way that he presents things. And I could see that he was a little bit embarrassed by the way that this man actually expressed himself. Because that's exactly the thing. That's exactly, I would say, what makes the difference in us. If there is a purpose or not for our existence. It changes everything. Either you came from a big bang and monkey and so on and on and on. Or you came with a purpose. And the purpose were for God's own pleasure. Are you now understanding this one? For God's own pleasure. And that makes a whole difference. And when you actually start thinking about this, think to yourselves, don't you think that the world actually needs to know that they have been created with a purpose, with a design, for God's own pleasure? How many people actually around you do, do you know that have been or are going through a depression, for example? Well, in a very rough way, let me already tell you, they need to know about the Sabbath. They need to know that God created them with a purpose, and the proof of that is that he created also with it a day for him to be remembered in their lives, in the purpose that he created them for. So does the world need a, need a Sabbath day? I believe so, amen? Now, Satan understood once again the importance of the event that Jesus went through, the baptism, and the confirmation of his identity by God the Father. Okay? And that's why he's going to meet Jesus in the desert right after the baptism. And do you remember what was the very first temptation? Do you remember? What was that? Do you remember? A very good. Let's, sorry? Yes, yes, sir. Exactly. Now, that's, that's usually what, what people tell us. But even before that, there's already... A temptation. Let's, let's go and see that, okay? Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 
Amen? Okay. Let's read from verses 3 to 7, okay? Verses 3 until 7. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the son of... Okay, you're not with me. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Amen now? All right. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If... What? If you are the Son of Man. So the Son of, the son of God. Now, question. Do you, think that Jesus, do you think that Satan had doubts about uh, Jesus' identity? Yes or no? He knew it perfectly. He knew it perfectly. Actually, that's why he's going to meet him in the desert, right? And that's also why in the third temptation, he's going to ask Jesus, the Creator, to worship the creature. To worship the creature. Can you already understand the inversion of roles that Satan is trying to operate here? Are you following? He's trying to put the creator because he wanted to be like, like what? Like the most high is going to try to put Jesus, the creator. He knows, under, he knows perfectly that Jesus is the creator. And we're going to see that in a second. He's going to try to put the creator in the position of the creature. And going to put himself in the position of the creator. Are you following? And when he attacks the Sabbath, beloved, this is exactly the ultimate goal in the mind uh, of Satan, okay? Let us just continue reading a little bit further, okay? Um, verse 4 now. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, And the devil takes him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Verse 6, And said unto him, If you are the Son of God, once again, cast yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear the, you up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Verse 7, notice. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Okay? And at that moment, Satan understands that there is a turning point in the procedure of temptation. And so now that Satan understands, and I, as I read these texts, I don't know if you have the same, uh, the same feeling. I almost kind of feel the despair of Satan. He's trying to take Jesus to fall into temptation, to sin, to commit sin. Okay, in order to be able to accuse him in front of everyone, all the created beings. And now, in his despair, he's finally, verse 8, going to try to his last attack. Again, the devil, verse 8, again, the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Verse 9, And saith unto him, All these things will I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And worship me. Beloved, this is the top blasphemy. And that's why at this moment, you know, the discussion is over. Jesus, in the following verse, Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee and Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and him only shall thou serve. And him only shall thou serve. It's very interesting the way that Jesus actually is going to tie these two concepts, okay? Worship and service. 
You remember what Paul says? Romans 6.16, we, we read that before. The one that you obey, to that same one you become what? Servants or slaves. Okay? Actually, the word is exactly that, slaves. Very good. All right? And Jesus understands perfectly where Satan is, is taking him. But at this moment, it's done. It's over. Stop blasphemy. That's it. Beloved, if we apply this to the Sabbath commandment, we can understand the importance of the commandment, but also of the days that we are living right now. Let me read to you a, a quotation from Alan G. White, Prophets and Kings, page 183 and uh, 184. And after this, we'll have a break of five minutes, okay? During the Christian dispensation, the great enemy of man's happiness has made the Sabbath of the fourth commandment an object of special attack. Satan says, I will work at cross purposes with God. I will empower my followers to set aside God's memorial, the seventh day Sabbath. Thus, I will show the world that the day sanctified and blessed by God has been changed. That day, notice what she says, that day shall not live in the minds of the people. I will obliterate the memory of it. I will place in its stead a day that does not bear the credentials of God, a day that cannot be assigned between God and His people. I will lead those who accept this day to place upon it the sanctity that God placed upon the seventh day. Do you think that Satan is really serious about this? What do you think? Beloved, the inspired servant of the Lord gives us a picture of an enemy that understands clearly that by keeping the Sabbath, you are putting upon yourself the identity of the Lord Almighty. That some, somehow you are building the image that God wants you to carry in your life. And notice the language that she actually uses in this, in this phrase. I will obliterate the memory of it. I will, you know what the, the word obliterate means? Do you understand that word? It means to erase completely. To erase from their minds. You know, I, I, I don't resist to make actually a comparison here to the fact that today some movements, they actually um, advise you to learn how to empty yourself, to empty your mind. Isn't it interesting? Is that God's purpose? Is that, or is it Satan's purpose? It's, it's obvious, isn't it? Come on. They, he wants to erase that same thing from, from your mind. You know why? Because as we see, saw in, in, in the beginning, we, do not just, we were not just created with the image, with the physical image, but we are also created with the mindset that God wanted us to have in order to understand that we are creatures in search of our Creator. And once He actually manages for us to erase this from our minds, he is able to put in our minds something different. 
once you erase that same thing from your mind, he's able to put something different from the thing that God wanted you to have in your mind from the beginning. From the beginning. Okay, beloved? All right, let's make a break at this moment, okay? Five minutes, but just before, let me just pray with you. Is it possible? Yes? Okay, let's stand. Dear Father in heaven, we want to thank you already for the things that you are revealing to us, Lord. Father, as we once again make ourselves available to your Holy Spirit to work in us, Lord, and because we understand that the message that we are grasping at this moment is tremendously important for our spiritual lives, for our spiritual growth, and especially to know you better, Lord. Father, once again, bless our hearts. Be with us. And help us to truly meditate in these words in order for us to be a reflection of God's character, your character, Lord. Thank you once again for being with us. And once again, give us the, the vision of your people, of what you want and what you expect from us, Lord. Once again, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. In five minutes, all right? All right. Now, as I was saying, okay... Always have this verse in mind, okay? Matthew 12, 8, okay? Show to people that Jesus is actually at the center of the fourth commandment, okay? The fourth commandment is not about Moses. The fourth commandment is not about the people of Israel. The fourth commandment is about whom? About Jesus Christ, okay? And how can we show that to, to, to people? In a very obvious way. Let's go to John, first of all. Gospel of John, chapter 1. Make people read this, okay? When you present this topic to people, please make them read their own Bibles. It's tremendously important. They need to know that you're not just speaking from your heart out, okay? They need to know that you are speaking with the biblical, God-given authority, all right? Amen? Verse 1. John chapter 1 and starting in verse 1, Amen? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And verse 10 in the same chapter, okay? Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Okay? Does that make clear that Jesus actually created all things? Yes or no? What do you say? Okay, if it's not clear enough for you, let's go to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 1. Hmm. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Okay? As I told you in the beginning, make people read this. Make people understand the importance of it. Help them to see Jesus in the midst of the fourth commandment, okay? Amen? Hebrews chapter 1, yes? Okay. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed here of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now, notice the fact that in the this, this second verse, the word worlds is a plural. You notice that? 
So it means that Jesus did not become a creator in order to create our planet, but he created the worlds. Not just our world, but also other worlds. And you know why I'm saying this? Because sometimes when you talk about the creation account, especially when you want to link it with, with the Sabbath commandment, they, they kind of think of the, of the creation account and, uh, and the creator only in the past. Only in the past. Yes, he was the creator. No, 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 no. He is the creator. Excuse me. Right? God did not lose his capacities of creating because he created our world. It's done. Game over. I've done everything that I had to do. No. Yes, he he's, still, he's still the creator, right? He didn't lose at all his capacities of creating. Amen? Amen? <laughs> okay. All right. Now come with me to Colossians, okay? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians. All right? Colossians chapter 1, okay? We don't have time to see all of the text, okay? But anyway, I'm giving you those that I believe are the most important, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, all right? Amen? Are we together? Please don't lose track on this one. This is really important, all right? Colossians chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17. Okay. For by him, talking about Jesus Christ here, okay? For by him were how many things? All things. All your versions, your different languages, do you all have all things? Yes? Amen? Okay, good. For by him were all things created. Notice the way that Paul is going to write this one. That are in heaven, that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Somehow, I, I believe that Paul really wanted us to understand that Jesus created all things. What do you say? Isn't it clear? Visible and invisible, heaven, earth, everything, everything. And now notice this detail here, okay? Right in the, in the end of verse uh, 16, okay? All things were created by him and for him. And if you remember Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, it tells us that God created all things for his own pleasure. Are you following? It's talking about Jesus all over the Bible. All over the Bible, Jesus is the central figure all over the Bible. And specifically, when it comes about creation, and when it comes about the Sabbath day, remember, it's not just remember a period of 24 hours. It's more than that. Remember to dedicate that specific day to your creator, Jesus Christ. Now, once again, people that come to you and actually think that you are too much attached to the Old Testament because, because you keep the laws, because you still keep the Sabbath, and so on, done, 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 and tell you that, well, everything I need is to believe in Jesus, I would say amen. I would say amen. Because Jesus is in the center also of that same fourth commandment. Now, obviously, if the Sabbath is a memorial of God's singular creative power, 
It's also a memorial of Jesus Christ because he is the creator of all things. And this is the point that the majority of the people, they forget about. They can't see it because they think Sabbath equal Moses equal to people of Israel, to the Jewish people. Is that really what, what the commandment is telling you? Is it telling you that you should keep the Sabbath day because Moses? Is that what you have there? Not at all, right? Not at all. But it's telling you that you should keep the Sabbath day because the Lord created. Amen? Don't get distracted. This is my, my, my firstborn. All right? <laughs> all right. Now, this is the point that I really want you to understand. Please don't lose the track on this one. When you present the Sabbath day, please. You know, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we are very good in presenting arguments, facts, and things like this, okay? Of all the churches that I visited, we are the strongest in that point. But we need to share something more vivid than just facts. We need to, to show something that is consistent with a personal experience with our Savior. Can you say amen to that? Notice this. Jesus is at the center of the fourth commandment. Now, he's not just the creator of all things that exist, but also the author of the things to, the things to come. He didn't finish creation yet. Okay? He didn't finish creation. Beloved, I don't go, want to go to heaven like this. Can you say amen? He, he didn't finish creation he actually is telling us that because he created in the past, he's still able to continue creating even in the future. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Notice this. Come, to me, come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It's a very well-known well text, but I really, really want you to grasp this. We need to tell people about this. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 17. Amen? Amen? Notice this. We just found that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is at the center of the fourth commandment because it's a, a memorial of the creation. And if it's, it is a memorial of Jesus as a creator, it should also be a memorial of salvation. Notice how. What does it say? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore... Oh, please, beloved, drink every single word of this verse. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, Jesus Christ, he is what? A new creature or a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So here's the beauty of this. When you present the Sabbath to other people. We see God as a creator back there. We forget that he didn't lose his capacities of creating. And that we are waiting for him to continue that creation process in the future. God is still in the business of creating. And that's why the Sabbath could never be abolished. Never! Because it's a memorial not just of what he has done back there, but it's also a memorial that points out to the future. And that's, and that's actually what Paul says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4. There's still a Shabbat in the future. Okay? The Sabbath, beloved, doesn't just point out to the things that happened in the past. It actually points out to the things that are coming in the future. 
Psalms chapter 51, verse 10. Psalms chapter 51 and verse 10. Psalms chapter 51 and verse 10. Amen? Amen. Okay. Look at this. What is the word that starts right there in that verse? Create. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen? Amen? Create in me a clean heart. Beloved, how did God create all things in the beginning? By the power of His Word. But how were things? What does He say? Good, 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 and, and very good. And very good. Good, 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 and very good. Everything was perfect. And actually, when we read this, there's a cry in the heart. There's a cry in the heart an anxiety actually saying, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Creating me, actually point out to the, the way that you have created all things, Lord. And create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen? Beloved, pay attention to this. There's two things that Satan really hates about the topic that we are studying right now. And actually, let me tell you a little bit my background that's for you to understand why I'm saying this. My, my, my father was a, a, a spiritual medium. You know what the spiritual medium is? Yes? Okay. Okay, he received the spirits and all that, and the spirits would talk through him and all that, and people would come to him actually to, to be advised by those same spirits, Okay. And one thing that I remember vividly in my mind when I was very young was to see my father under the manifestation of those same spirits and all of that. Some of that kind of thing, sometimes it's gibberish. Yeah, I understand that, okay? But um, unfortunately, in the case of my father, it wasn't. It was very real, and I actually experienced these kind of things. One thing that I remember in my mind is the fact that every time when we were about to enter in the holy hours of Sabbath, that's when the manifestation would be stronger. And there was, would be things, you know, uh, strange things. I don't want to glorify the, uh, the, the, the devil. That's why I'm not giving uh, many details. But my father would be possessed and all that stuff right before we enter the Sabbath hours. And I understood that, beloved. I understood that somehow Satan saw in the Sabbath hours something that he really hated. That's why I want to tell you that there's two things that Satan really hates about this topic and actually are very well underlined by the Sabbath commandment. First of all, he's nothing but a creature and he never was. Okay, As you can see, he's very attached to, the, to daddy. <laughs> I'm not a creator, but I'm his daddy, so he's attached to me. All right. Grasp this, beloved. I believe this is really important. Don't lose track of this. First, he's nothing but a creature and never was. 
nor ever will he be a creator. Do you understand this? Beloved, don't fear the attacks of the enemy, beloved. He is nothing but what? But a creature. We belong not to the creature, but we belong to the creator. And that makes the whole difference. That makes the whole difference. That's why, beloved, we observe something that was not created by a creature, but by a creator himself. Are you following? He's nothing but a creature, never was, and never will be a creator. Second, the seventh commandment brings focus to our need to let him create in us a new heart, completely surrender to him. And this procedure is called sanctification. Did you grasp that? That's why, beloved, the Lord says that he's the Lord that sanctifies us. And the seventh commandment is deeply, as the word of God says, is deeply connected exactly to, the, to, this, to, this, uh, to this point. Our salvation, beloved, depends on his power to create us. Our salvation depends on his creative power of which the Sabbath is a memorial. That means that this is the way that salvation and creation are being tied together in one single commandment. The only one that says, remember, and that Satan actually wants us to forget all about it. All about it. That's why the first time the Sabbath commandment was given, it was a memorial for the creation. We know that. But the second time that it was given, it was also for a redeeming memorial. Did you know that? The Sabbath commandment is given twice. First of all, in, in Exodus uh, 20, and then also in the book of Deuteronomy. But the, at that time, it's not being presented to us because he created all things, but because something different. Come, with, come there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verses 12 to 15. Verses 12 to 15. Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 5 from verse 12. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all thy work. So far so good. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor, the, nor your ox, nor your ass, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger that is within thy, thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as you. That is to follow your example, okay? Verse 15. And remember. Interesting, isn't it? In this second time that the commandment is given, the word remember, instead of coming in the beginning, comes actually almost in the end. Okay, let's see. And remember what? Verse 15, okay? And remember that you were what? That you were what? Are we together? A slave or a servant. Very good, thank you. In the land of Egypt, 
and that the Lord your God brought thee out from through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Isn't it interesting? That is, once again, first, the first time that the, the, the Sabbath commandment is given, it, it is presented to us because God created all things. In the second time in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us that we should remember it because the Lord actually redeemed these people from Egypt. And now notice this, 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 this fact. We know that the redemption of Israel foreshadows, grasp this, you, ha you have to really to follow this one. It foreshadows our redemption from bondage of sin. Because the Passover that was a symbol or a sign of the redemption points towards the redemption of Jesus Christ who is our Passover. Did you understand that? So actually, at this point, the Sabbath is literally being presented to us as a symbol of redemption in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Beloved, the Bible makes it plain, and that's why, the, that's why Jesus, now it makes it it's much clearer for us, why Jesus tells us that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Of course! First of all, because he was the creator, and secondly, because it's a symbol of redemption in Jesus Christ, our Passover. Beloved, the world needs to understand this. Sabbath has nothing to do with Moses or just the people of Israel. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Amen? Beloved, this is the point that people are missing. And when we actually share the Sabbath day, not just in a, um, in a ra yeah, rational, yes, of course, but not just in a, um, in, a, in a purely academic way, if you understand what I mean, but also in an experimental way, because you have experienced salvation in Jesus Christ then it becomes vivid in the minds of the people that are around you. That you are not just keeping a Sabbath or a day or a commandment because you feel forced to in order to be saved, but you do it because you were saved by the Lord of that same commandment. And that makes a whole difference. That brings a brand new picture in the landscape about that same commandment. And people need to learn about this, beloved. All right. At this moment... Um, we don't have time to see all the points that I wanted to share with you. But uh, I'm very quickly going to, um, to, 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 to tell you a little bit, the, let's say, the attacks that I found uh, more pertinent in the days that we are living against the Sabbath, okay? And let, let me start this, point, this, this part with this experience. Just um, a few months ago, already this year, I, I was invited by a friend of mine that is a, a pastor in the Protestant church in Geneva. He's not Adventist, okay? He's a Protestant pastor. And um, he, he invited me to go uh, into a special meeting because he wanted me to present a few points of doctrine that makes us different from all the other Protestant churches. And I gladly accepted. I said, yes, praise the Lord. Well, it's a good opportunity, right? Now, I went there. 
And obviously, I've talked about many things, the commandments of God, the second coming of Jesus. But I especially took a moment in the presentation to talk a little bit about the fourth commandment, okay? About the Sabbath day. And, beloved, um, I need to tell you that um, it was the moment, in terms of being with people from other denominations, it was the easiest moment in my life. And let me tell you why. Because... I presented the Sabbath, and people started asking me, and they, there was a lot of people from, from the, their, their churches, they wanted to know more. What, what are you talking about? I, we believe that we keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath, right? It's, it's Sunday. It's the same thing, right? No, it's not. No, I'm sorry. Not at all. And, of course, I had to present it uh, uh, and to tell them, actually, who actually made the change and all that, and so uh, Constantine and so on and on, the Roman Empire. And the interesting thing is that people were overwhelmed by such simple information, that simple information for us, because we, we, we are used to hear these kind of things. But people outside, they don't know really these kind of things. And so I presented to them, and they were very surprised. There were questions coming up and so on, on, on. but what do you mean that, that it's not in the Bible? Jesus resurrected on Sunday, didn't he? I said, yes, but he never told us to keep the Sunday. It's still a Sabbath day. Well, just, just to cut the, the long story short, um, after answering all the questions, I, I really looked at everyone around me, and, and I see that there was a certain, um, uh, a certain expectation from everyone, like saying, what is it that we just heard? Why is it? And right after me, the, the Protestant pastor, their own pastor, actually, he, he stood up, and he looked a little bit embarrassed because he didn't know exactly, I could see that he didn't know exactly what was waiting for him. And people started actually to shoot questions against him. Now, don't lose track of this. At a certain moment he said, wait, let me just be clear with you. What Pastor Tiago just said is absolutely true. There is nothing in the Bible to support the keeping of the Sunday. The Sunday is an inheritance that we received from the Roman Empire. But there is no scripture telling us to keep Sunday. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. But we do it in order to try... Notice the language. I, I love this part. In order to try to honor Jesus Christ our own way. Because he resurrected on Sunday. So we do our best to honor his name. Is there, is, is there something wrong with this picture? Or is it just me? Our own way. And he was absolutely right. Our own way. We try to honor Christ our own way. He's absolutely right. But at the same time, he recognized, well, it's an inheritance that comes from a pagan people. Oh. When the Lord tells you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy because I am the creator. And they say, we keep Sunday in order to try to do our best to honor Jesus Christ. No, if you want to honor Jesus Christ as he is, you got to honor him on the Sabbath day. And let me tell you why. Have you noticed that recently there's a lot of struggles discussing the divinity of Jesus Christ? No, 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 no. I don't know if that also happens in your churches where you come from, okay? Back there in Geneva, there's a lot of... Um, um, discussion right now about this. Let me tell you. If, you. if we keep the Sabbath day accordingly, respecting all the aspects that we just studied so far here, it's impossible. What did I say? Impossible 
to have any doubts about the divinity of Jesus Christ. Why? Because if he is the creator, he's got to be God and he's got to be divine. And once you start tackling the commandment, it's not just the fact that you are disobeying the commandments of God, but you are actually dishonoring Jesus Christ because you're saying, well, yes, but maybe the creation, it wasn't really you. It was something else. The Sabbath is a symbol of what? Of Jesus Christ as a creator and the redemption in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Now, because of this, I brought you just four points that we're going to try to see very quickly, okay? That I found, um, that I find usually uh, more often when discussing or studying the Sabbath uh, day or the fourth commandment. First of all, attack number one, I called it that way, okay? The Sabbath was made for the Jews. People will tell you that very, very often, okay? Now, people call the Sabbath of the Jews, but the Bible never calls it that way. It's always the Sabbath of the Lord, okay? And once you present actually the Sabbath in this perspective, you actually already tackle this issue in a very easy way. Why? How many people in the world need salvation? All of Everyone. Well, if the Sabbath actually becomes a symbol of salvation in Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, excuse me, but it cannot be a symbol for the Jews or whatever. It has got to be a symbol for everyone. Every single creature in the world. Can you see it? Yes? Is that clear? Okay? So it's not the Sabbath of the Jews. It's a Sabbath given to man, okay? Man in general. Every man that is a sinner and that needs a Savior. Amen? All right? Okay. Now notice what Ellen G. White actually she, she says. This. Of course, when we present these topics, we are not going to uh, present already with, with the spirit of prophecy, okay? But for your own understanding, to make it more clear in your mind, okay? There are those who hold that the Sabbath was given only for the Jews. But God has never said this. He committed the Sabbath to His people Israel as a sacred trust. But notice this. Notice what she says. But the very fact that the desert of Sinai and not Palestine was the, the place selected by him in which to proclaim his law reveals that he intended it for all mankind. The law of Ten Commandments is as old as creation. Therefore, the Sabbath institution has no special relation to the Jews any more than to all other created beings. God has made the observance of the Sabbath obligatory to, upon all men. The Sabbath, it is plainly stated, was made for man. Okay? So already at this time, Ellen White, she was already, already struggling with these kind of issues. Now, another point that you can actually present uh, to people is the fact that back there, when the Sabbath was kept for the first time, there were no Jews, obviously. Okay? There was only God, Adam, and Eve. Nobody else, okay? But now notice this. At this point, you can already say, I keep the Sabbath because my Creator has done such first. In the same manner that I love Him because He loved us first. It's exactly the same principle. Did you follow that? Okay? First John, sorry. First John chapter 4, verse 19 tells us, I love him because he loved us first. The principle in the Sabbath is exactly the same. 
the one that kept the Sabbath first was God. So we keep the Sabbath because he kept it first. Okay? It's the exact same principle. Now, notice this. This argument has led many to believe that the Sabbath existed only for a limited period of time following the creation. But is this a fact? Obviously not. Why? The Sabbath could never be just a type or a shadow. I want you to grasp this part, okay? People will tell you, no, it was a type or a shadow of something better. Beloved, let me ask you something. The Sabbath was kept by God before or after sin entered in the, in the world. Are you sure? Yes? Are you sure? Positive? Amen. I'm sure also. I just... Okay? Obviously, beloved, a type or shadow is something that is connected with the solution for sin. The Sabbath was first kept before sin entered in the world. Are you following? Yes or no? It could never be considered a type or a shadow because there was no sin back then. Obviously, right? So it could never once again be a type or a shadow because there was no sin before, okay? Certain shadows and typical observances were instituted as a result of sin and pointed forward to the deliverance from sin. Now, when Adam was created, did you already uh, need uh, a solution for sin? No, of course not. Obviously not, right? Okay? So that's why, beloved, Jesus says in, um, in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, please come there with me. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. Amen? I only heard one amen. That means mercy. Okay. All right? Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Amen now? All right. Jesus is saying here. Notice, okay? It's Jesus speaking here. Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to what? but to fulfill, okay? Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise, okay, in no wise, pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Till all be fulfilled, okay? All right, so there were shadows that needed to be fulfilled, accomplished, but still, okay, Jesus clearly tells us he didn't come to destroy anything to destroy anything, but he came to fulfill, to accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished. That's why in, in Hebrews chapter 4, as we read earlier, he was tempted in all things, but always without sin. Always without sin, okay? All right, let's jump to the, to the second point here, okay? Attack number two. Just keep any day in the seven, and you are keeping the law also. Did you, did you get that? Okay? Just keep any day in the Sabbath, okay? Now, this is an interesting objection and um, with more power in it, actually, than, than we might think, okay? You might think that, well, this is a very simple argument and so on. It's got more unto it than we think, okay? You see, by this argument, Satan prepared the world to accept, finally, a substitute for the Sabbath that God had commanded. 
And we have to, to remember this when we talk with someone that actually presents you this argument. Okay? Now, upon the tables of stone, God wrote the great unchanging law of the ages. Every word was serious and meaningful. Not one line was ambiguous or mysterious. Sinners and Christians, educated and, and, and uneducated, have no problem understanding the simple, clear words of, of the Ten Commandments. God meant what he said, and he said what he meant. No one has tried to avoid that law. It's too complicated to comprehend. And that, that is quite obvious and clear. But now notice this. God chose to bless and to sanctify the seventh day. And how was it? In order for us to keep a day to relate with him. And he sanctified it by resting. Okay? By Shabbating. Okay? Now, does God's blessing make a difference? Of course. Of course it makes a difference. Right? This is why parents pray for, for, for God to bless their children, for example. And they believe it makes a difference. The seventh day is different from all the other six days because it has God's blessing. Now, please understand this. Don't lose track of this. Keeping the Sabbath is not a question of taking a few hours of rest, but a question of faithfulness. All right? A question of saying, if I decided to do God's will uh, or, not in my, uh, or, or my own will. In the end times, this will be the decisive point. And now, interesting is that L.G. White, she is going to point out the fact that in the beginning, Adam he for, he kind, of, kind of gave us a foretaste of what this meant uh, in the future, okay? Think about it this way. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of, uh, of Eden and they ate the fruit, was that a sin? Yes or no? Yes or no? Okay, let me make the question now in a different way. Is it a sin to eat a fruit out of a tree? No. No. So why was that a sin for Adam to eat the fruit from that tree? Why? Okay, one at a time. Yes? All right, okay. Because God... Ex yes, of course, you all said it, okay? Because God said so. That's it, okay? No question. Now let me ask you. If Satan said, if you eat that, of that fruit, you're going to die, did that make any sense? No. If I said, if you sit in this chair, you will die, does that make sense? No, of course not. Do you understand what I mean? Okay? Why? Because the authority of what he said makes the whole difference. Makes the whole difference, okay? So, Sin is the breaking of the law. Now, let me read to you what Ellen G. White, uh, she says, okay? It's a book, Lift Him Up, page 53. As the tree of knowledge was the test of Adam's obedience, so the fourth commandment is the test that God has given to prove the loyalty, the loyalty of all his people, okay? The experience of Adam is to be a warning to us so long as time shall, shall last. Did you guys get that? So long as what? As time shall last. Okay? So was it meaningful not to eat from the tree? Obviously. Okay? It made the whole difference. In the same way that this disagreeing point in the end times will make the difference. It will become, permit me to say, the fruit and the tree that was in the Garden of Eden. All right? 
Okay, we still have five minutes. Okay, let me just go fast on this one. Um, attack number three, keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. Let me see by, by showing of hands, how many of you talked with people that actually told you this? Oh, not many of you, actually. All right, okay. Now, keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. Is there any problem in honoring Jesus Christ in his resurrection? There's no problem, huh? No problem in, in honoring Jesus Christ in his resurrection, right? No problem, okay? No. <laughs> okay, just the pastor. Many wonderful events occurred on certain days of the week, but we have no command to keep them holy. Jesus died for our sins when? Was it on Sunday? No. Was it on, Sa on Sabbath? No. It was on a Friday. Do we have any command to keep the, the, the Friday holy? Nothing. Nothing. Was it a special day? Yes or no? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But we have no command to keep Friday because Jesus died on the Friday. And that was the accomplishment of salvation for our sins. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That is probably the most significant event in all of recorded history. It marks the moment my death sentence was commuted and my salvation assured. But not one Bible text hints that we should observe this day of such great significance. Now, there is, of course, a memorial for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't we have one? We have one, don't we? Do we have a memorial for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Let me repeat the question. Do we have in the Bible a memorial for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's the Lord's death, yes. But what about the resurrection? The baptism, of course. Yes, yes. All right? The baptism, all right? A memorial of the resurrection commanded in the Bible, but it is not Sunday keeping. Okay? The resurrection, yes, it's told us in the Bible. There is a symbol for that, but that's not Sunday keeping. It's the baptism. Okay, do you remember? Paul wrote this, this in Romans uh, chapter 6 and verse 4 and actually present this text to other people for them to understand that you are not disregarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the, the other sense, you are actually honor him, honoring the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but in the way that he has appointed to. Okay, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, okay, says the following. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, should, we also should walk in newness of life. Did you get that? Okay. Right? We have a symbol for that, of course. The problem is that when we try to adapt new symbols for things that we, you know, that we are not commanded to. But the resurrection is to be honored, yes, by your personally giving, giving uh, by, by personally giving your heart to Jesus. Okay? So this was a dramatic moment when Jesus rose from the grave on that Sunday morning, but there is not a scintilla of biblical evidence that we should observe this day in honor of the resurrection, okay? All right. Can I just have four more minutes of your time? Yes or no? Yes? Okay. The fourth attack that we have towards the Sabbath is one that I believe will be one with whom we will have to struggle more. It's something called 
theistic evolution. Have you ever heard about that? Can I see the hands of those who know what, what that is? Yes? Theistic evolution, okay? Okay, theistic evolution tells us that, in fact, yes, there is a creator, but the creator that created all things through a long period of time, millions and millions and millions of years. In the end, you can just understand it this way. Evolution is all right. The only thing that they miss is that the Big Bang was God. It's a simple way to see it. Now, what is the danger of this same view? Okay? If you boldly declare that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal 24-hour day, in our days, probably a lot of people will laugh at you, um, will accuse you um, of believing also that the earth is flat, and so on, and on, and on, okay? By the way, the Bible never says that the, the, the earth is flat, but it tells us that actually there is the circle of the earth, and you can find that in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 and 22. Now, a few years ago, I was making a research work exactly about this topic, and um, I end up with a book in my hand called In the Beginning. This book, in the beginning, was written by a certain person that you probably have heard before called Ratzinger. Okay? All right? Have you ever heard about him? Quite famous, isn't he? All right. Now, let me tell you that Ratzinger, the Pope, the actual Pope right now, he was a very good theologian, okay? A brilliant theologian. He wrote many books on theology, okay? that I was forced to read in order to understand deeper certain, um, certain uh, issues, okay? In this specific book, Pope Ratzinger, he makes uh, an apology for, um, uh, for uh, evolution and creation, tying them together, saying something like this. There is space in the Christian church for us to believe that there was, in fact, an evolution that lasted for several millions of years. Okay, did you, get, did you get that? Yes? It's almost like making ecumenism out of the creation uh, and evolution, okay? Trying to just tie, let's all just get along all together, no, no problem, okay? Evolution, creation, you know, let's just tie things together and we can just uh, get along all right, that's, there's no problem, okay? Now, of the many biblical evidences that God did not use evolution, I would like just to take... Um, uh, a small example, and that is Adam and Eve, okay? To examine whether God created Adam and Eve through evolution, we need to first examine just how evolution says that Adam and Eve, um, how Adam and Eve would have been created, and then compare that to how the Bible says Adam and Eve were created to see if they both can logically be reconciled, okay? Notice, according to evolution, all the hominids, okay, would have been evolving over millions of years, getting a little more human as time went by. Did you get that? They would get a little bit, a little bit more human as time went by, okay? Like over, like over the, the years until, until eventually the first fully human man was born. And that's when God has said, okay, we now have a man, and I will call him Adam. Did you get that? So, first of all, 
God was in the beginning. He started the process of creation, okay? And no chance that he could have said what the Bible uh, records in the, in the first chapters of, of the Bible, okay? Why? Because it took several millions of years until you finally had one man in conditions in order for God to say, okay, this is Adam. Because before, there were only monkeys and his affiliates, okay? All right. Now, Let's compare these to what God told Moses that he created Adam in, in Genesis chapter 2, 7. It says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the, of the what? Of the ground, okay? Now, here's where a, a little simple logic is required, okay? How can anyone honestly interpret Adam being formed from the dust of the ground to mean Adam was conceived and born of a part human and part monkey hominid mother? Does that make sense? Beloved, what I wanted to, to, to show you here is that there is no chance that you tie Bible belief with evolution. It's absolutely impossible. Impossible. There's no chance. And one of the reasons that I actually um, wanted to bring this also to you is that this is crawling into the church more than we think. More than we think. And unless we are Bible-based in order just to do as Jesus has done with Satan in the desert of temptation, to say, it is written, okay? We will never be able just to come out of it. Never. Because they will bring you a lot of arguments, but from the Bible, they will bring very few. So in the end, you just have to ask yourself, will I believe in the Bible or what in these people say? Notice once again, the issue of Eve. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, that Eve was created by God, putting Adam into a deep sleep, taking out one of, her, one of his ribs, and creating Eve from that same rib. Okay? Now, this has incredible spiritual significance throughout the rest of the Bible, as you probably know, okay? with regards to marriage. All right? Because by making woman from man, she was to Adam, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That means that God used the way he created Eve to establish marriage as a bond between a man and a woman who would become one flesh. Women came out of man, and so when a woman and man are married, the two become one flesh, and Jesus even reiterates the, his, this creation account and its significance in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 5 and in Mark 10, 8, okay? Jesus clearly says, don't you know? Let's just quickly go there, okay? Matthew chapter 19, okay? Matthew chapter 19. 19 and verse, and verse 5, okay? Actually, in, in, verse, in verse 4. Amen? Amen? Okay. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said... For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the twain shall, shall be one flesh. Jesus is directly quoting from the creation account. So beloved, it's almost like saying if you want to be a Christian and embrace evolution, and excuse me, it's impossible. Why? Because Jesus believed in the creation account. Are you following? It's impossible to type both together. 
Can I be a Christian and say that there was millions of years and man came from the monkey and so on and on? When Jesus is saying, don't you know what is written in the, in the beginning? Beloved, I honestly, I pray that you can keep these arguments in your minds and that you will go through once again these arguments. Because once, as I said, these things are crawling into the church. Let me finish with this. Coming back to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a memorial of creation and salvation in Jesus Christ as we have seen. But uh, it also share, shows us the way that God is going to recreate things in the end. Let me give you an example. My grandfather, he died uh, a long time ago. When Jesus returns, what is he going to do? Is he going to call for every molecule of dust of my grandfather in order to build him up together again? Is that what he's going to do? Or is he going to recreate a new body in him? What does it say in, in, in Thessalonians? Okay, let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, a known text again, okay? Let's just read 16 and uh, until 18, okay? Amen? Amen? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Question, when he asks them, the, 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 the dead in Christ to rise first, are the dead still there really? No, of course not. Because as, as long as time goes on, they become what? They become dust. No chance. So the idea is, is God going to actually put, put up one single molecule of dust all up together? Of course not. He's going to have to recreate new bodies. Isn't that the promise that the Bible gives us? Yes or no? Of course. For how long is God going to take to recreate all things including our new bodies. For how long? Amen, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15 and verse 52. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. Amen? In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Notice it's the same language of the, uh, the text that we just read before. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, for, and we shall be changed. Beloved, how much time does it take a twinkling of an eye? That's it, right? God doesn't need all those millions of years to bring life, beloved. And you know what this shows us, beloved, to us here today? That God doesn't need just a long procedure to change our hearts and to prepare us for the second coming of Jesus. Beloved, I don't know about you, but this, this gives me hope. This gives me a hope that goes beyond all things and much beyond the beliefs of uh, theistic evolution or whatever. And that's why the Sabbath keeps me in a special connection with my Creator in such a way that I will never forget who God is, who I am, and my affiliation to my Creator. 
Can you say amen to that? My appeal to you at this moment is for you to have exactly the same experience. Don't just say that, you know, in an academic way, the Bible says, no, I have experienced my Savior. I know what it means. I know what it takes. I know who my God is. I know who I am. And I know what He expects from me. He expects that I remember who He is every single day of my life. And that's why I keep the Sabbath day. Amen? May the Lord bless you greatly. Can we finish this with a word of prayer? Dear Father, dear, dear Lord, dear Jesus, thank you for providing a way for us to never forget who you are. To never forget what you expect from us. To never forget the purpose that you have given in our lives, Lord. And Father, at this moment, you know the struggles, whatever is going on in our side of our hearts, Lord. But bring us a conviction that comes only and alone from the power of your word and the Holy Spirit. Father, once again, thank you for counting on us. For being so gentle with us, Father. That you provided all these ways for us to be in touch with you. And to remember that affiliation that we have to you. That you are our creator. And that when you were giving your life at the cross, Lord, you were looking at us and saying, I will recreate you and I will make all things new. Father, today we are available to you. We make ourselves available to you, Lord, for that influence of the Holy Spirit and for you to recreate a new heart in us, Lord. Thank you for counting on us. Thank you for promising these to us, Lord. And thank you for that, that, that procedure that is starting already right now, Lord. Be with us. Bless every single one of us, Lord. And when we will leave this GYC, may we leave different people from the ones that came here, Lord. Stronger in you, more prepared to meet you one of these days. So glory to you, Lord. Once again, thank you for everything that you have done. And thank you especially for what you are about to do and accomplish in our lives, Lord. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Glory to you. Amen, Father. Amen. God bless. This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. GYC are supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.